Hello, my beautiful boons, and welcome to the episode of today. So today we're going to be doing an episode which is all about um, the fear of your partner cheating and what to do with those feelings and those emotions and why why are we feeling that way? Where is that fear coming from? How do you, you feel less scared and less worried and less stressed and less jealous, given that you can't ultimately control what your partner does and you can't ultimately control the outcome of anything? The reason I thought about this topic is because I had a very, very, very good listener question come through. And it was just such a good question that I thought I'd just need to do an entire episode on this because I can imagine, not even imagine, I know for a fact, based on the messages that I receive, that a lot of people are in this position. And to the person that wrote in, you're definitely not alone. And I'd love to address this. Okay, so we're talking about fear of cheating, fear of falling in love with somebody else, fear of having a crush on somebody else, all the above I will be talking about. Now, on a more somber note, I did want to mention before I get into the brain fact and the whole episode, I did want to take a moment to just mention that I had I had mentioned my friend Jacob on the podcast before, and I had also done a story about him asking a bunch of you guys to donate to him because he was diagnosed with glioblastoma multiform, which is a very aggressive form of brain cancer. And I know a whole bunch of you did jump on and donate to his GoFundMe to help fund a lot of things while he was getting his treatment. And I really, really, really could not thank you enough for those of you that did go and donate and yeah, extend your, your kindness to him. He last week, he passed away and I was about to have him on the podcast as a guest. And I remember he called me a few, like um, two months ago and he was like, oh, I heard that you mentioned me on the podcast. You were talking because I had spoken about how he was one of the happiest people. And I was talking about the mindset that you have and the energy that you can bring. And one of the people that has the most incredible energy is Jacob and he's got this, you know, terminal illness and he's still the most unbelievable energy and happiest person to be around. And he heard that and he called me and he was like, thank you so much. And I was like, I'd love to have you on as a guest. And he was like, I'd absolutely love that. And then I was just, you know, kicking myself because I was like so busy and, you know, trying to organize the time to have him on as a guest, but then, you know, by the time that the week would run out, I'd be like, oh, fuck, I haven't, you know, haven't contacted Jacob about getting him on as a guest. And so then that, then I was, uh, you know, that was about to happen. And then he, you know, things took a turn for the worse and he got really, really unwell. And then he passed away last Friday. And yeah, I just wanted to say thank you to him for being such a light in everyone's life. And he, when I found out that he had passed away, it just like really, I mean, not that you should need this, but it, God, it puts things into perspective. And I didn't even want to like be on my phone for a second for like days after, because I was just like, you've got to maximize your time. You've got to maximize the time with the people that you love. You have to, you know, make the most of all of this because you just don't know what's around the corner. So to harbor hate or to harbor, you know, these negative feelings or feelings where you're going to just cause yourself to suffer. It's just so not worth it when then you look at the bigger picture and the amazing people that are in your life and the amazing opportunities that you do have. And yeah, so a big thank you to Jacob for always reminding everyone of that. Even if you don't know Jacob, you can have him as your reminder as to why, you know, you just need to be a bit more like just present in your life and just Oh, getting so emotional. Just like a reminder to be really present in your life, 
to really maximize every moment and especially maximize every moment with the people that you love in your life because this is such a harsh reminder that we don't know what's around the corner. So you want to live your life in a way that you leave a legacy where people remember you for how you made them feel and everything else apart from that is not really important in my opinion. So thank you, Jacob, for doing that. Okay, let's get into it. Now, before I get into the brain fact, if you did want to jump straight to the topic of today's episode and pass the science facts, maybe fast forward to roughly the 14-minute mark, and I think that that will roughly get you to where you want to be. Okay, brain fact. Okay, so the brain fact of today is all about the ketogenic diet and why it is good for epilepsy. So I want to talk about the ketogenic diet, which is based around the premise of burning fat for fuel instead of sugars for fuel or carbohydrates for fuel. Now, I'm not talking about diet here for fat loss. Everyone's got their own opinion on what's an effective diet to lose weight on and what's the best way to burn fat. We've all got our opinions. I've got my own, but that's not what I'm here to talk about today. I specifically want to talk about the benefits of the keto diet for the treatment of epilepsy and has nothing, well, what I'm talking about will have nothing to do with fat loss at all. So specifically, how does a diet interact with the brain? And why is it that people who suffer from epilepsy, as in seizures, benefit from being on the keto diet? And now this treatment has been validated for several years of study, like years and years and years of study. And there's a lot of evidence to back this diet being beneficial for epilepsy. And there's, so to take it back all the way back, there's documentation from hundreds, even thousands of years actually, that showed that when people fasted, their seizures would go away. So basically when people were not eating, they were not having seizures. But obviously you can't stop eating altogether. So at one point you're going to have to start eating and the seizures would come back. But this idea came about of treating epilepsy with food or intake intervals because notice because of this, you know, awareness around when you're not eating the seizures aren't happening. So there's something to do with food, something to do with the interaction of what you eat and the brain and epilepsy. That's how they figured it out thousands of years ago. In more recent times, kind of in the last century, fasting was an effective way to treat epilepsy. And they did see a significant reduction in seizures when fasting. And they thought back then that it was they believed that it had something to do with the elimination of toxins and it was these toxins that were causing the seizures and obviously when you weren't eating, the toxins were getting eliminated, quote-unquote toxins, and that's why they weren't getting any seizures. But no one knew what these toxins were or what they could be. That was just the belief at the time. It's not that. I'm going to tell you what it is. So the, firstly, let's talk about what the diet is. So the classic keto diet is where ketones – in the body are increased and ketones are involved in fat metabolism. People on a keto diet have lower levels of glucose straight after consuming a meal because they're having higher fat content versus carbohydrate content. So they've got lower levels of glucose after consuming a meal than someone who's not on a keto diet. And glycosis pathways are also down-regulated when you're on this diet. So this is how glucose gets broken down through these glycosis pathways. But if the levels of Glyco or glucose are lower, then there's less breakdown occurring because there's less glucose and therefore there's a down regulation of these glycosis pathways. And what was observed through lots and lots of studies around diet and ep epilepsy was low carb, high fat diets seem to be better for people with epilepsy versus high carb diets or low fat, high carb diets. 
Now, the original classic keto diet is as follows. One gram of protein per kilo of body weight, less than 15 grams of carbs per day in total, and the rest of the calories coming from a fat source. In the 1920s, this was hugely popular with patients. There was 95% of patients who were reported who were reporting to have improvements with their epilepsy, 95%. And then since then, because this is obviously 100 years ago, since then, drugs came on the market, anti-epileptic drugs. I did a brain fact about this a couple of weeks ago, but drugs came on the market. So the diet became less and less popular because it's really, you know, for a lot of people, it's a very difficult diet to adhere to all the time. But the issue with the drugs is that the drugs still had side effects and they also don't work in every case. You know, with almost every drug across the board, there's going to be some patients that are resistant to that drug or it's just not as efficacious as it would be in somebody else. Now, the weight loss version of the keto diet is, uh, I believe from what I've read, is not as restrictive on carbohydrates as this classic version. So they're slightly different, but this that's the classic version that I'm referring to. So why is this happening? What's going on here? So the idea behind the research is that something called BHB, which is beta-hydroxybutyric acid, beta-hydroxybutyric acid, BHB, high levels of this BHB which is basically a kind of ketone body, high levels of that within the blood are correlated with seizure control, meaning that epilepsy patients with lower seizure frequency had higher levels of this BHB in their blood, okay? So less seizures, higher BHB. And ketone bodies inhibit something called V-glute, which is vesicular glutamate transport. And this reduces seizure activity by reducing the transport of glutamate. So you're not necessarily reducing glutamate, but you're reducing the transport of glutamate. And if you listen to my brain fact a couple of weeks ago about epilepsy and anti-epileptic drugs, you might remember me saying that epilepsy is based around a deregulation of activity and inhibition in the brain. So we're talking about glutamate and GABA and there's too much excitability or not enough inhibition and that's what's causing this overexcitation, which then leads to seizures. Um, and glutamate being the primary excitatory neurochemical um, and how, you know, Basically, I spoke about how all that interacts and how it plays a key, key role in epilepsy and in seizures. Now, what's not fully confirmed is if levels of GABA are altered when on the diet. So what we do know about the ketogenic diet is that it plays a role with limiting the transport of glutamate, but we don't know much about GABA. Some studies have found an increase in GABA, but why that's happened is not really understood yet. So there's still ongoing studies. But basically, if ketones inhibit this V-glute, so the transport of glutamate, then there's less formation of these vesicles and less release of them as well. So I'll quickly recap on it because I did talk about this a couple of weeks ago, specifically around epilepsy. But your neurochemicals are packaged in something called a vesicle. And so you've got your presynaptic neuron and your postsynaptic neuron. And Anytime a signal gets sent from neuron to neuron, there's a release of these neural neurochemicals and those chemicals are then landing on the postsynaptic cell and sending that message. But in order to release the neurochemicals, they've got to be released out of these things called vesicles. They're packaged in these vesicles. And there's a whole cascade of events that triggers the release out of that vesicle. And what's happening here is that these vesicles are not releasing the neurochemical. Okay, so these ketones are inhibiting this transportation 
off the neurochemical out of the vesicle. So there's less formation of the vesicles as well. They're not getting formed. They're not getting packaged. And then, of course, less release of the, the GABA as well. So without the vesicles, the chemical is not getting transported out of the cell, basically. Glutamate is not leaving the cell. And they need to be packaged in a vesicle in order to be released from the cell. So if they're not getting packaged in the vesicle, they're not getting released, they're not doing their job, and then you're not getting as much excitation. Now, that is why there's lower levels of glutamate within the cell and within cell-to-cell communication, and therefore lower levels of excitation overall within the central nervous system. And this is what helps decrease seizures within people who have unregulated activity levels within the brain. So if you're someone that doesn't have a problem with your activity levels within the brain, i.e. you're not having seizures, then it's not going to affect you negatively. But if you do have unregulated activity, then this will be very beneficial. Now, when infused with glucose, ketone bodies decrease. So the moment you start having more carbs, more glucose in the bloodstream, those ketone bodies are going to the amount of them are going to decrease and your blood glucose levels increase. And then when that happens, the chances of seizures go up because there's more activity within the brain. Children under 10, under the age of 10, have the best results with this diet as they have a higher ketone body increase response. But it is really helpful to people of all ages with epilepsy. It's found to be quite successful in treating epilepsy across all um, age group populations. And it's But because of the kind of diet that you're on, it's recommended to only be on this strict version of the diet for two years um, as there are side effects. And given that like the intake of a balanced diet is off, you're not getting a fully balanced diet. Sometimes you need to take supplements alongside the diet in order to get all the nutrients that you need. And that's why they recommend just two years on the diet because there's a risk of you not having the proper balance and not getting all the nutrients that you need. So that is why... The ketogenic diet is quite um, successful at treating epilepsy in a lot of cases, in apparently over 95% of cases when on the strict diet. So that is the brain fact for today. Good times. Okay, so like I said, the topic of today's episode is based around a listener question. So I'm going to dive in straight um, headfirst into that listener question and then we'll get into today's topic. All right. Hey, Alexis. Usually when I listen to your podcasts, I feel great or like I can improve afterwards. But after today's one, I was left feeling a little horrible. You briefly mentioned in episode 229, 229, that it's normal to develop feelings for someone else while married slash in a relationship. I'm aware that I have jealousy issues. I was really bad with retroactive jealousy at the start of my relationship, but I've been improving, mostly thanks to your podcast, and it's made me and my partner's relationship so much better. But when you mentioned it's normal to feel things for other people while in a relationship, it made me sick. I couldn't think of anything worse than my partner going through the excitement of a crush while we are together. It took me a while to realize that I shouldn't be jealous because we really do have a great relationship and love each other so much. But the fact that you said, It's extremely common to develop feelings for someone whilst in a relationship honestly scares me. I know his type. He has a very particular type and I already get a pang that I've learned is silly when I see some attractive girl who fits his type perfectly. But now to think he could get a crush makes it feel so secretive and almost like emotional cheating. I really don't want to fall back into old habits and thought patterns. Is it just purely insecurities making me feel sick about it? I don't know how to calm my negative thoughts about this one. So if you have any advice, that would be so, so appreciated. Thank you. That is a great question. And thank you so much for writing in because I'm, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. What the first thing I wanted to to touch on is the fact that 
when I said that it's really common for, you know, people to have a crush or have feelings for someone else in a relationship, you know, all of us know that that's not news. How often do you see partners breaking up? How often do you hear about affairs? It happens all the fucking time because as much as we don't like to admit it, not many humans are actually monogamous. We're just not. I think we have society has forced all people to think that monogamy is the way to go and that everyone kind of has to conform to that. And if you're not monogamous, it's like, ooh, risque, you're not monogamous, you're, you know, because the norm is monogamy. I would argue that, and I don't know the stats on this, but I would argue that probably less than half the population is actually genuinely monogamous as far as what they want to be. So having said that, a lot of people will force themselves and conform into this bubble of being monogamous. And as you can see in so many relationships, and this is not even my opinion, this is fact, it just doesn't work. People have affairs. People break up because they want to be with somebody else. People can't spend their whole life with that one person. Now, having said that, there is still a big chunk of people that absolutely are monogamous, absolutely only have eyes for their partner, never want to, you know, stray off and have anything with anyone else. So when I say it's common, I don't, I'm not saying that everybody will fall in love with somebody else or have a crush with somebody else, but I'm saying that it is way more common than not for people to struggle to be with one person for the rest of their life. And the couples that do do that often have overcome a lot of adversity and had to go through many hurdles, including maybe potentially, you know, falling out of love and back in love and out of love and back in love and they've worked for it. And then there's, yeah, there is a smaller subset of that, that they've just literally been madly in love with each other until the end of time. This is another reason why a lot of couples that get together quite young, not every couple, I know people that have been together since they were teenagers and they're just absolutely thriving. My grandparents were madly in love until the day they died and they were together when they were teenagers. So it definitely happens. But in general, a lot of people, not even in general, just a lot of people, when you start dating from a very young age, early 20s, teens, there's so many evolutions that you're going to go through, especially in your 20s and early 30s. So much change. You're still, your brain's not even fully developed until you're like 25 or 26 as far as reasoning and and all of that. So there's so much that's changing that to go through all of that with the same partner is pretty unique if you think about it in that way. And like I said, it's not saying it's not possible, but that is just life. So I genuinely believe that there needs to be a lighter approach with a lot of people and a lot of couples when it comes to this idea of monogamy because you might find your absolute match in life and the only reason that you turn that person down is because they can't be monogamous, right? But then you end up being with someone who's willing to be monogamous but you're not not—you're just not happy and you're just not satisfied. So I feel like if you happen to find someone who is on the same page as you, great, but we've just put so much so much um, emphasis on this one person for the rest of your life. And I think it's pigeonholed a lot of people who just don't feel comfortable in that dynamic at all. Okay. So basically that's the first point that it's not new news that it's extremely common because you see it all the time. I can't 
I can't tell you how many people I know who've had to break up because they've fallen in love with someone else or because they've had an affair. Like countless. I couldn't tell you. It's just so many. The messages that I get, it's all about affairs. This person cheated on me. This person left me. The people I've dated in the past, more often than not, more people that I've dated in my past have cheated on me than they haven't, than ones who haven't. Um, It's just so common. It's so fucking common. And I think what needs to be spoken about is being more open and having a proper communication between the couple so you're not being deceived. But this like having feelings for someone else just happens all the fucking time. Not to everyone, but it's very common. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is when you're in a relationship and when everything's going well, like it sounds like your relationship in this particular case is going very well. And if you don't have any, like sometimes people have these moments where they're Like I just instinctively know that my partner is lying to me and they're telling me one thing and they're doing something else and I just know it. I know it in my bones. If you don't have that, if you're like, no, there's no red flags. This person's a fucking legend. I love them so much. Then to have all these fears, it's kind of like you're suffering before something happens and suffering before something happens, if it happens, if or when it happens, if if you suffer, it doesn't actually make it easier for you to deal with it once it happens. You've just suffered twice. So you've just struggled the whole time, suffering, suffering, suffering. Oh my God, there's this really hot girl. I know that he likes that, that style. They're going to, you know, all this shit. You're, you're torturing yourself and then nothing happens. And then again, and then nothing happens. And then let's say one day in the future, okay, he ends up leaving you and he goes with someone who you're like, that's his type. I knew he was going to go with it. Then you're suffering again. You haven't prepped yourself to not suffer as much if it does happen. All you've done is just suffer 10 times more than you needed to, okay? And I know it's not so easy as to just flip a switch, but you need to – I feel like when it comes to relationships, ironically, the more freedom and playfulness you have within the couple, the higher the chances of you succeeding long-term. Because if, let's, let's use me as an example. One of my exes that I dated was always thinking that I was going to cheat. Ironically, he was the cheater in the end, but that's probably why he was always paranoid that I would cheat because he was trying to look out for clues. I don't know. But he was paranoid to the extent that he would comment on the way I would look at another man and he'd be like, but I saw how you looked at them and it's different to how you look to, at a woman. And it's So I'm overanalyzing my own behaviors when I'm around him because I don't want him, A, I didn't want him feeling like shit. B, I didn't want the drama. More importantly, I just didn't want the drama when I got home. I'm like, I'm sick of your fucking shit. Shut the fuck up. Stop telling me about shit about me that – you don't even know about. Like he's literally would say, you like this person. You So I just couldn't be fucked with the drama. And because I couldn't be fucked with the drama, I would overanalyze my behavior when I would be around him and another man because that was what would trigger him, basically any fucking man that was semi-good looking. So it really put a like a bad taste in my mouth in that relationship and it really tainted a lot of my experiences and I really felt like I was walking on eggshells. So the opportunity for the relationship to flourish and do really well wasn't really there and I would be second-guessing so many of my interactions and the chances of that relationship ever blossoming and us really getting on the same page and really trusting each other was getting lower and lower and lower as we went on. And I'm not saying that you do that to your partner in this particular listen, a question. I'm not saying that that's what you do with your partner, but 
Whether you say it or whether you don't, people notice it. You probably, I don't know if you've spoken to your partner about this or not, but there's ways that people notice it. You can tell, you can read your partner's face like a book. You can tell changes in their face. You can tell when they're uncomfortable or when they're annoyed or when they feel threatened or where they feel jealous. You can tell. Flip that around to a different dynamic that I currently have now with my partner where the trust is just beyond, 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 beyond. And Tyrone and I, for example, we can both point out really, really good looking people and just both admire that person, no matter the gender, no matter the gender. We could both be like, that person is fucking stunning. And Tyrone would be like, yeah, absolutely. My hall pass, Tyrone will, like my hall pass is Carlos Sainz, Formula One, stunning. Tyrone's like, he's the fucking hottest man in the world. And I'm like, isn't he just? And then Tyrone feels the same way about J-Lo and I couldn't agree more. So we've just like, we're so... When it can't, like Tyrone and I are in a monogamous relationship, not that it matters, but we are, but there's so much freedom and comfort and trust that we can be playful with these things. And if I found out that Tyrone was ordering a coffee and the woman or whoever was really flirtatious with him, and if I saw him flirting back, I'd be like, you fucking go. (laughs) Love that for you. You know, I just... It's nice that people can have these little snippets of fun here and there that don't take away from their relationship. It's okay to have a flirtatious energy about you. One of my girlfriends, she's married with kids. She's the most loyal person you will ever come across. Like she loves her husband so much. It's like just wild, right? Not even wild, but like she just fucking adores this man. He adores her. They've got a great dynamic. They've got kids. She is one of the flirtiest people I've ever met. She loves a flirt and he's like, ah, ha, ha, and just jokes along with it because it's like she's always been a flirt. There's nothing behind it. But because he's so trusting of her and she adores him so much, it's just the energy that she carries. It's nothing – there's nothing um, inappropriate about it. There's nothing wrong about it. But if she was in a dynamic where she was with a guy that's like, I don't trust you, that's inappropriate behaviour, you're this, you're that, you're that – it would damage their dynamic and their relationship because what a lot of the time when people have a little flirt or where people admire someone's good looks, we're fucking human at the end of the day. And the in, so basically, I've just rambled for so long, but what I'm trying to say is that the more freedom you have within the relationship to admire someone who's good looking, to have a little flirt here and there, the more secure and happy you are within your relationship. If you feel that you're on a tight leash, then you're going to, your mind will wonder more so than if you didn't. If you feel that your partner's like, then you're kind of, then it is this like secrecy and it is this like, can't talk about it and it's this suppressed thing and I really want, like I'm trying to explore this side of myself but I can't because my partner. And then you feel like your partner is some dead weight and that is the last thing you want to feel about your partner and it's the last thing you want your partner feeling about yourself. So if you can have open communication, be playful, be fun, you can still, as long as you agree on what the dynamic is. So if you've both agreed that you're monogamous and in that monogamy there's no nothing, like we are fully monogamous emotionally and physically, then you can still say, like, I, I, so when I was planning this episode, I, I asked Tyrone, I was like, look, not a loaded question, but genuinely, how do you feel if I was being flirtatious with a guy? And he's like, oh, wouldn't really. 
phase me. He's like, I know, I know how much you love me. I like, I'm pretty, you know. And the the comfort in that man, the level of just comfort that he has within the relationship is hot. I'm like, yes, can't. <laughs> like the last thing I want to do when a man is so or a partner is so comfortable within themselves that they don't have these hang-ups, they don't have these, you know, like the last thing I'm going to do is then go and do something inappropriate because I'm like, that's so attractive how comfortable you are in your own skin and how confident you are within the relationship and the same goes in return. You know, I genuinely would have no issue with Tyrone flirting with someone playfully or admiring a beautiful woman. I wouldn't care because – I'm, comf- I'm confident within our dynamic. I'm confident within the relationship. I'm very confident within myself. I feel like I can stand on my own two feet and I've got a lot to offer. So I'm a ca- I feel like I'm a catch for him and vice versa. He's a catch for me. And I feel great. And then if he was to cheat on me and break my heart, cross that bridge when I come to it. Why suffer now? Why? Why put myself through the misery? So basically what I'm saying is that there's no guarantees on what your partner's going to do. You can't guarantee what your partner is going to do. You can't, you know, watch them like a hawk 24-7, nor should you want to. You can't speak for where you're going to be in five years' time. You might be the one that's like paranoid, 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 and then you fall in love with somebody else. And then you're the one that – like you just can't speak for the future. All you can speak for is today. So to poison your relationship – with fears of something that has never occurred and may never occur is to set your relationship up to fail because you're literally just bringing things in. Your partner's not done anything wrong. And you mentioned in this listener question, it was mentioned that it feels like emotional cheating. That's not emotional cheating at all. You have to remember that we are human. When, you, when I enter a relationship, I don't all of a sudden become blind and have no personality that I can't banter with somebody else. That would be fucked. And if that was the case, I wouldn't be in a relationship. Why can't I appreciate a hot individual? You know, why can't you? Why can't your partner? Nothing wrong with that because we're human. And to think that you literally become blinded the moment you enter a relationship, I think is being naive, very naive. So I think you have to accept that as a fact, entering a relationship and then be like, well, it's so fine because I also can appreciate someone hot. So it goes both ways. And I also think that you don't want to be thinking that your partner is emotionally. Emotional cheating is when a partner has a deep level of emotional intimacy with somebody else that crosses a boundary that you find inappropriate. So it's basically where they're having an affair where there's no sex or kissing. It might not be physical at all, but it's this very emotional thing where they're absolutely like pouring their heart and have this intimacy with somebody else that you now feel excluded from or it was, or you've never been aware of it and then you find out. That's emotional cheating where someone's genuinely fall, falling for someone else and not told you, not been open about it and having this whole affair on the side emotionally. Not having banter with someone cute who then they're probably never going to think about again, you know. I think it's important to always remind yourself that just because you're in a relationship, you're not – you haven't changed fundamentally who you are. You're not in a prison and people can still be playful and can still have fun. And that is what life is all about, these fun interactions here and there. So – To basically sum up what I've just said, 
Number one, you can't read into the future. So don't try to. If your partner's not giving any indication that they are being inappropriate based around what you've agreed your dynamic is, because every partner's got their own, every couple has their own rules, there's no rule book. But if you think that they're being inappropriate, then I feel like that's a different story. That's, that's something that you need to approach them on saying, hey, this is our dynamic. I feel that you've crossed a line. Or have I read the dynamic wrong? Or have we not discussed this properly? But if your partner's giving you no reason to feel that way and you're creating these stories in your head, then you're trying to put words and thoughts and actions into his mouth or into his head that he's not actually done. You know, you're trying to read into the future when it's not possible to do so. So I think that it's just a constant reminder of yourself to be a little bit more present within your relationship. And ironically enough, the more freedom you have around being playful and being open and honest with each other and having conversations around this stuff is actually the ingredients to a successful long-term relationship. The flip side of that is for you to be like, I don't want you looking at someone. I don't want you having a crush on someone. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. And your partner's like, whoa, I haven't even started. I haven't. And then they start second guessing their, they feel less comfortable in the relationship. They feel like this is more of like a sentence other than this flourishing, awesome relationship where both people are thriving. Okay. So I think that regardless if the person is diehard monogamous versus if they kind of, you know, tinker on the edge of monogamy and polyamory or open relationship, irrelevant. I think that you always have to provide a lot of freedom for your partner and they have to provide the same in return because trust in a relationship is about believing something without the evidence. That's what trust is about. And in my opinion, you should only ever be in a relationship with somebody you trust. I don't think it's ever appropriate to be in a relationship with somebody who you don't trust or who doesn't trust you because that shit is fucking terrifying. Imagine, imagine sleeping next to someone, waking up next to someone, sharing meals with someone who just doesn't trust you. That's cooked. I'd rather do all that shit alone any day of the week, okay? So trust is about believing what someone says without evidence. If you have evidence, then it's not trust, is it? Because the evidence is there. So you don't have to trust that person or not. If anything, if you're always needing evidence, then you absolutely do not trust them. So it's this ability to say, I'm going to believe you and I'm going to believe what you say about how you love me and I'm going to believe your actions within this relationship because they are demonstrating that you love me and I'm going to let it go. I've got to let things go and let things evolve naturally because I can guarantee you if someone's going to cheat, they're going to fucking cheat, okay? They're going to cheat. You freaking out about it isn't going to stop it. You watching them like a hawk isn't going to stop it. You being paranoid, nothing that you do can stop someone from cheating. However, a really healthy relationship where everything's flourishing will increase the chances of the relationship getting better and better and stronger and more intimate. So, you kind of have to look at it as in order to get closer, I need to let go of the reins a little bit. I need to relax. And one of the best ways to do that is to work on your relationship with yourself. The more confident you feel with who you are, the less you worry about what your partner is doing when you're not around. The less you worry about if your partner finds someone attractive or if your partner, you know, sees some 
absolute 10 out of 10 and how that's going to affect them or what they're going to do about it or what they're going to think. You know, you just, you're more focusing on yourself and your own happiness and what you're doing and then you bring the best of you to the relationship. And when you do that, your partner brings the best of themselves to the relationship in general most of the time. And I feel like if you're in a position where you fear that your partner is going to cheat on you or going to fall in love with somebody else or going to have a crush on somebody else or going to flirt with somebody else, then you have to ask yourself, what is it that I'm ultimately fearing? Am I ultimately fearing that they're going to leave me, that, you know, they're not going to be in my life anymore? And how does that make me feel? Because if you're really, really comfortable within yourself, that would make you feel if they were to leave you and you're in love with them, that would make you feel very sad. It would make you feel heartbroken. But that's kind of where it would end. And you know that while it would be awful, it's not everything in your life and you know that you would be okay. However, if you think I could not handle this, I would not be able to go on, I would never get someone like this again, I'll be absolutely fucked, I have to hold on, I can't, I can't, I can't, then what are you telling yourself? You're telling yourself that you're lucky to be with this person in the sense that there's like a dynamic shift, that they're better than you. Like what are you telling yourself? Because if you truly, truly, truly love and respect yourself and someone doesn't want to be with you, you would still suffer. I'm not saying it's not painful. I've been there. It's absolutely fucked. But you would be able to take that and be like, I'm also going to walk away from this scenario. If someone doesn't want to be with me, I will help them as they leave because I'm not going to do that to myself. You know, you have this deep level of respect within yourself, this deep level of love for yourself, this deep understanding that you're resilient and you will be fine and it won't be the end of your life. And you have this deep understanding that if someone doesn't want to be with you, then it's for the best that you don't be with them. I feel like if you always, if, you, if you're not aware of your relationship with yourself, then there might be cracks there and it, it manifests in fears that your partner is going to leave you and then that you'll be absolutely fucked and that fear is horrible. You know, when I have been times of times in my life where I've not been as confident within myself in really unhealthy relationships and the thought of my partner leaving was just horrible. I couldn't fathom the thought of it. And that's that, you know, in hindsight now that what I felt for my partner back then is nothing close to what I feel for my partner now. But at the time, it was the strongest thing I'd felt at the time. And now, if my current partner, Tyrone, was to leave me, I know for a fact that I'd be devastated. I'd be fucking so sad. Like, oh my God, heartbroken. But if he wanted to leave me, I wouldn't fight it. I would, I would fully allow him to do what he needs to do because – I'm better than that. I don't need to beg someone to stay and I don't need to beg someone to be with me and I don't need to tell myself that my life would be fucked if someone who doesn't want to be with me decides not to be with me. You know, I would know that I would move on and I am resilient and I am strong enough to build myself back up and I would be intrigued to see what the next version of myself would be a year after that and what I would have made of myself after that. So that helps me feel really comfortable in my relationship because there's no fear that's underlying all the time. When you feel really comfortable in yourself, you don't 
have this fear that someone's going to leave you because you understand that they might leave you one day if things change. They might not. But the only constant that you have control over is yourself and improving yourself and working on yourself and becoming the person that you're truly in love with. And if you're in love with who you are and the life you've created for yourself, then you're so much more comfortable allowing the people that want to be in your life to be there and to nurture that and the people that don't want to be in your life to let them go. And that position is probably the most powerful position you'll ever find yourself in. And it only comes from working on your relationship with yourself. Because to think, you know, am I being paranoid? Am I this? Am I that? It all comes down to a deep fear of what will happen if this person leaves me. And if you're fearing it so badly, it all comes down to a fear that you're not good enough in your head. So you have to keep checking and checking and checking and asking yourself these questions and asking yourself these questions because if you're constantly torturing yourself about your partner may be leaving, then this has nothing to do with your partner and it has everything to do with why are you so worried about being alone? Your partner, while they're a massive part of your life, especially if you're in a committed relationship and you want to share your life with them, while they're a huge part of your life, they're not your life. And you have to find a way to be able to be like, I trust you. I trust our relationship. This is fucking awesome. And then if they go and break that trust, then you're like, okay, I was wrong. Cross that bridge when I come to it. But why put myself through all this torture and suffering and pain? That's affecting your relationship with yourself. Every time you're like, they're going to cheat on me, they're this, they're that. Why are you thinking that? Why would you think that? You're a catch, cunt. You're a catch, okay? They're not out there doing that. And then – like I said, if turns out that they are, then you deal with it. But as far as you're concerned, they're not doing that. I'm a fucking catch. I can sit pretty here, very comfortable knowing that I'm a great asset to this relationship and I feel the same way about my partner. They're a great asset to this relationship and we're thriving and we can go out and we can flirt and we can have a good time, but we just really come back and we just make each other better and we have such a solid thing here. That's how you want to look at it. And to try and predict the future is to make yourself suffer. To try and think what if, what if, what if is to make yourself suffer because I still stand by the fact that it is extremely common, extremely common and you don't even need studies for this. You just open your eyes and look at the people in your life and the stories that you've heard that people will fall in love with other people. A lot of people fall in love with someone else then fall out of love and fall back in love with their current partner. There's so many dynamics. There's so many unique dynamics when it comes to relationships and love. But the only thing that you need to really put your heart and soul into is your relationship with yourself and that dynamic. Because if you can be super comfortable with who you are, then if someone isn't there for you, doesn't want to be there for you, wants to leave you, then it's not going to ruin your life. Heartbreak? Yes. Life ruined? No. Um, so yeah, that's basically my answer to, to that, but please remember that I guess in summary, you, the main thing you have to think about when it comes to a relationship is my partner and I have to decide what the dynamic of our relationship is. And there's no rule book where if that's crazy monogamy, if that's a little bit relaxed, if that, whatever it is, but you need to have these conversations. A lot of people don't have these conversations. The conversations I have in my relationship as a 30 something year old is very different to the ones I was having younger. And I wish I did have them younger because those relationships would have ended a lot faster. I would have saved a lot of time. So have these conversations, talk to your partner, have the difficult conversations saying what to you, whether you want to hear it or not, ask your partner, what to you is the ideal dynamic in a relationship? What level of monogamy or not would you love? 
and be prepared to listen to what they have to say. And you might be pleasantly surprised. And if you're not pleasantly surprised, you might be able to meet your partner in the middle with some things. But that's how relationships succeed. Communication is key. But you have to establish what the dynamic is between you and your partner, no one else, just the two of you. And then you have to agree that it's a constant learning curve within the relationship and things are going to happen. And then one thing that I would really welcome your part, welcome you to say to your partner is to say, you know, be honest about how you feel about certain things. Be open. Be, you know, talk about how you're feeling. Talk about, you know, like, fuck, I know you don't want to hear it, but if you know that your partner's being honest with you all the time, then when they're not saying something, it's because they're being honest and everything's fine. It's, 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 it's a hard pill to swallow, but at the end of the day, you protecting yourself from pain by fearing the pain is only causing you pain. So by trying to protect yourself, you actually end up hurting yourself tenfold and it does you no favours. So hopefully that helped. That is the episode of today. There's no listener question at the end because the whole thing was basically a listener question. Um, but yeah, focus on yourself. You're a fucking catch. Just think about what you can do to make yourself feel better. And the better you feel, the better you're going to feel in your relationship. You're going to bring a side of you to the relationship that's really strong, fun to be around, confident. And you'll love that about yourself. You'll fall more in love with yourself. And then you'll have less stresses about what's going on in parts of the relationship that you can't see. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Love you all so much. And yeah, that is all. As always, remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.